0: Royals Review Radio. I'm Max Reaper, the editor of Royals Review. Later on in this show, we'll have Sean Newkirk and Matthew Lamar on to talk about the first half of the season. But first, we have a special guest. Cody Tapp is the Royals Insider for 610 Sports in Kansas City. He's always a great source of information and also a good source for Royals News. Cody, thanks so much for joining us.
2: No problem. Thanks for having
0: me, guys. Uh, first of all, I have to ask, uh, how's Ned Joe's treated you so far as the, as the new Royals Insider?
2: You know salty he's always a little salty um <laughs> i think people are always worried that uh it's like man boy it just must be must be tough i'm like no it's okay i think this is a. Uh, i've come to expect that this is who ned is he likes to give you a hard time sometimes max and so i think with all of that uh i'm pretty used to it so it will give you a hard time um but you know i think I'm, I'm settled in okay despite that and sometimes he's fine right sometimes he acts totally normal and every time he uh you know, he tells you that he doesn't have a belt on so it just depends on the <laughs> yes, <day. But> overall <laughs> overall I feel like it's going all right
0: it does seem like a little bit looser of a Ned, a little looser Ned Yost yeah. I think just maybe because the pressures off of of trying to contend and we know we look we didn't expect the Royals to contend this year, but I think maybe even for for Ned Yost and the Royals the first half has gone maybe even worse than than they even expected uh they go into the all-star break at thirty and sixty one they're tied for the second worst. Uh, record in baseball. It's the second worst record in club history going into the All-Star break. Um, they, but they managed this record even though there's been some bright spots. I mean, Hunter Dozier, Adibert Tomonesi have played pretty well. Uh, Whit Merrifield obviously is an All-Star level player. Uh, how, how would you kind of diagnose the first half? Why is this team sputtered out of the gate so much, and, and what, 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 what are you kind of seeing out from this team in the first half?
2: First, I mean, even internal projections didn't happen as a playoff team. They had it more at like 70 wins which means this is still a disappointment. This is still below how they felt like they were supposed to be performing. And I think the simple way is, you know, a lot of times you can find examples through the past. We don't do comparisons just to, you know, like find some other thing that reminds you of it. But what you should do is go back to those years when the Royals had good offensive talent like Beltron or Die or Sweeney, and you're like, boy, how can they have a guy performing this well and still be a bad team? And the answer usually ends up falling kind of on the same thing. It's pitching. Like offensively, the first, and listen, but the entire lineup has not been some devastating force, but I think if you said, hey, this is the first half Montez would have, this is the first half Witt would have, Dozier would have, Solaire would have, you'd be happy with about half the performers in the lineup, including, you shouldn't have been surprised by even what you got out of Martin Maldonado. So, you know, there's a decent chunk of the lineup that you'd be like, okay, this has gone okay. The other half was pretty bad for a long stretch there, too, because Maldonado didn't have a first good, you know, month and a half, and Owings really struggled for that entire stretch, and they had a hard time getting any production out of center. And so all of that kind of piles on. But then pitching-wise, I mean, right now, what, Duffy's been their best guy, and he missed the first month and a half. Keller's regressed at least a little bit numbers-wise, although I don't think his stuff is way off from where it was last year. And then the rest of the starters, Homer Bailey's actually been pleasantly surprising to me. But then the back end, they already had to change. One guy in Lopez, Sparkman's ERA's over five now. And then you go to the bullpen where consistency hasn't been found at all, and I think that that's the longest short of it. I think pitching is more to blame than the offense, but you know several things have kind of worked against them to end up where they are.
0: And it seems I'm sure that's really frustrating too for an organization that's stressed pitching so much to, to come out and have a year, you know, back to back years like this where pitching has been such an Achilles heel, and then, like this has been the second year in a row where the team has, I think, played much worse than expectations. It seems like they're on their way to to at least getting around 100 losses, just like last year. And, uh, you know, I think fans, what we hear a lot is like, fans want someone to be held accountable for uh for for these for these really terrible seasons and then look they understand it's a rebuild but I think they also didn't expect the team to be this bad so you know I think we we, we expect Dayton Moore is not he's not under kind of any kind of uh uh threat to be fired I mean he's won a ring. No. I think people believe him but so people look at it towards a coaching staff to maybe shake things up um is that something you anticipate maybe sometime it's you know in the middle of this year or maybe at the end of the season or do you think the coaching staff is in a pretty secure place right now?
2: Well, you know, first on Dayton, you know, he should be, like, people should ask questions about at least the free agency signings over the last two years, Mm -hmm. because in general, that has not gone well, right? Like, we look at this year, Billy and Boxberger and Owings, they cut two guys before July. So that's got to be addressed, too. But that doesn't mean, like, hey, Dayton's got to go. Like, I'm not crazy. That's not where I am on that. But so, you know, those should be looked at. As far as the coaching staff goes, I still think Ned's not long for this world, it feels like partially he was like kind of just wearing it for this team a little bit. Like, well, mm-hmm. you know, we put a new guy, like, if you'd put a different manager in the last two years and they won a similar number of games, they'd be already calling for that guy's head. <laughs> I feel like, and it wouldn't even have been fair to him based on the rebuilding part of the nature that they were in. So Ned wears it for the next guy, and I think that that is important. The rest of it, and I think I can, you know, take a hint that at least one of the other guys that people ask about, because right now, why would you complain about the hitting coach? They're hitting okay. The pitching coach is the one I probably get the most comments on, and I'm assuming you do too, Mac, but yeah. Cal Eldred. And there's reason to question if what he's doing is working. I don't typically jump down things real quick and be like, yeah, let's make a change, let's find out. Because sometimes it takes a little time to put someone's system in. But I think the Royals look at that. I don't think it's impossible that they say, all right, is the pitching coaching magic? who's gotten better and who's gotten worse? And the answer for who's gotten better might be as short as Danny You know, Duffy's about the same. Ian Kennedy? I mean, who else, right? Like, Keller's stepped back a little bit. Junius is off of his. His first two years are pretty consistent. He's off of those numbers. Lopez got worse. Multiple guys in the bullpen are still struggling. So it's like, who got better? If your answer is only Ian Kennedy, who made a switch from starting rotation to the bullpen, then it's fair to ask those questions. I don't think it'll happen this year. I just don't feel like they're really... Like, when they made an in-season move on hitting coach, they were in the middle of thinking they were going to contend, right? Like, they needed the switch then because it mattered then. Like, now you can play out the rest of the string and find out if their system is working before having to make a rash decision.
0: Yeah, and I feel like the eye is still, you know, on the long term. And, I, you know, I I know that they... Yeah. That that losing really hurts them a lot, like, especially Dave Moore, he just hates losing. But I think they're still, like, you know, this is part of a process. And as long as they're seeing, I guess, progress being made... and and maybe those are baby steps and maybe that's not even every pitcher like some pitchers will regress but other pitchers maybe they see some signs of improvement then then i think you know that that could justify a lot of the coaching staff but i don't know it's not the
2: youngest pitching staff right i mean you know like even the guys you're like oh we didn't make jake deepman better you're like he's (laughs) 33 (laughs) like you know barlow would be the guy that like looked like for a while he expected everything and then kind of came back and has got to work on some stuff so i'm hard-pressed to do that you know like Part of the guys they have is, like, it's a weird veteran mix. I just don't know that I want to judge them on all those guys for one year.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure Leo Mazzoni himself could have, uh, you know, gotten Brad Boxberger (laughs) in his 88-mile-per-hour fastball and and poor command to uh, turn it around this year. So, yeah, I'm willing to give Cal Eldred a little bit of a pass this year. Uh, But, you know, certainly we'll see in the future. I think we want to have some accountability there. Uh, We're we're coming up on the trade deadline in a couple of weeks. I think um, a lot of fans are kind of anticipating what the Royals are going to do. Uh, Dayton Moore, I think, is kind of maybe tamped down the expectations a little bit. What are you kind of looking for the Royals to do at the July trade deadline? We know there's only going to be one trade deadline this year as opposed to uh, two trade deadlines when there's a, a waiver period. But So all the focus is going to be on July 31st. What are you looking for at the Royals?
2: Yeah, Bailey's got to be the guy they try to move first because he's the guy performing the best at this moment. I still think, despite the fact Deakman's gone through the last two weeks of struggles, that the rest of his body of the work this season will have somebody interested but it's not, it's not going to be a heavy mover. I just I mean, I, I could be wrong, but they have never given any indication that they're very serious about moving Whit Merrifield. And look, you'd have to be offered the world to do it. Like, I, I'm not just moving Whit Merrifield for someone's top 30 prospect like the Royals gave in Mania or a top 30 prospect in baseball, right? A top three prospect in your system. No, I want multiple top 100 guys. If you're going to make a move like that for a guy, that you have four years of control. Because if you decide you want to trade Whit down the road, you know when you could trade him? Next year, the year after that, the year after that, he's under control. So they've just never given any indication they're dead serious about moving someone big, moving him, moving Duffy, moving Gordon, who would have to agree to it on top of it. And so I'm expecting quiet. I'm expecting the vet guys they can move. They can find anybody who will take cash considerations for a guy like Hamilton, if they can move Beekman, if they can move Box Or not burgers sorry, not. He's already signed with the Nationals and got cut, but... You know, if they can move any of those guys like that, like Bailey, I think that that's, uh, that's the route they're going to
0: go. Are you hearing much uh, talk about interest in guys like Bailey and Diekman? Because, I mean, I think what's really attractive about Bailey is that he's making you know virtually nothing as far as uh, a major league salary from the Royals. Yeah. Most of that obligation is being paid by the Reds and the Dodgers. And so, like like the Rays, like a cost-conscious team like that, could be really interested in him. Jake Diekman, I know his ERA hasn't been very good his last couple outings, but he's got some decent peripherals. He's only a couple million bucks, too. Yeah, and he's pretty pretty cheap as well. I mean, is that is there any kind of buzz about them at all, or is, it, is this something like it's going to be probably a slow-moving market for them, you think?
2: Little talk, little talk. It's a little quieter in some of the bullpen guys because Casey hasn't had a good bullpen. Mm-hmm. Like, that'd be the logical guys, right? Like, if you'd gotten something out of Willie Peralta, you'd have been like, all right, he's our guy. We'll move on. We'll, you know, take the deal we can get. Uh, Bailey, a little bit more because I think people are always looking for starters. Even playoff teams that don't end up using those guys in the playoffs, like having another guy who can start down the stretch for them and not blow it and so i think he's had a little more chatter to me around the league i just think people are waiting to pull the trigger on him because he's not one of those guys that you feel like hey we better get him in to start today right like you're not waiting like well we don't want to miss three starts of trading for him we will wait we're going to give him an 18 year old lottery chip anyway you know so we'll wait it's not a big deal we don't have to move on bailey now so i think that they might be a little closer to the deadline as a result of that, but probably a little more chat on Bailey than some of the others, because some of the other guys, the Royals are probably better waiting to make sure that they perform better, kind of firing up into the break instead.
0: Well, we've got a couple of days off here. The Royals can kind of recharge the batteries. You can recharge your batteries too, I'm sure. But yeah. uh, what, what are you kind of looking for when the team begins playing the second half? They've got 71 games left. Uh, you know, we we may see a much different team here in the next couple weeks uh, if they do start trading guys away. What what are you looking for? Uh, from the Royals in the second half, is it, does it matter if they finish strong as they did last year? Uh, is, it, is there other specific players you're looking for to develop and take a step forward that are that are key to the future?
2: Yeah, record doesn't matter to me. Why would it? Like at this point, I wouldn't look at that. Ned said the other day, he's like, what do you tell the guys? Don't look at the record. Look at progress." Mm-hmm. And I think I want to see Dozier continue to be this player. I want to see Mondesi continue to be at least this player, if not a more patient one um, that we saw at the second half last year, coupled with these numbers. I think I know who it is, and that's not I'm not. That's not That's a knock. That's a good thing for them. I just want to see some of those guys like Nicky Lopez become a more confident hitter, not hit 215 against righties early in his career. You know, I want to see Keller come closer to stabilizing who he was and find out if Junis can develop the curveball. In fact, for me, it's development. And if anybody else, they call up the rest of the way, too, whether it's Bubba or Brett Phillips or Zimmer or Stamon, and they try the opener thing, I just want to see him try some different stuff and use some of the people they haven't and then find out if some of the guys like Dozier have had a really good first half before the break if they can keep being that player that matters more than the record to me moving forward
0: yeah I'll be interested in seeing if they do try some of those experiments and the opener has been talked about so much that I think it's at least something they, they should do. it for they,
2: two months down there, right? They have to yeah. be
0: really thinking about doing it. Right, yeah, there's been so much buzz. And I'm kind of interested to see, you know, how long they do commit to it if they do try it. So it'll be yeah. like, have an interesting experiment. But, uh, yeah, there's I think it, it could be a lot of... A lot of reasons to tune into Royals baseball, even if it's not to, to see them win games. I think there are some young players that I think are definitely uh, integral to the long-term future of this franchise that we need to get a look at. So that'll be interesting. It's not to watch. the
2: same as like four, it's not the same as like 2012 and like everybody who's going to be on that roster all came up together. Right. Right. Um, they've already got some pieces that are here now, and some are in A ball, and some are in Double A, and some may, maybe in Triple A. You know, if those things work out, I think a lot of it is just based in this you know what makes work so I think that's why you're just trying to figure out if these guys can perform that second half.
0: Have you heard from the the team at all about how they feel about the performance of some of those young players in the minors and we know the hitting uh the hitters especially in Wilmington are not doing very well but the pitchers seem to be uh doing pretty well especially you know the guys they took in last year's draft is there kind of just an overall view of how the team feels like their farm system is progressing?
2: Yeah I think they're really happy with the pitching and I think they still understand like everyone else in you know, everyone should probably understand now that Singer, Coar, Lynch, Boobich, you know, whoever, like, that whole group, uh, yeah, they're not all going to, like, come through and be aces, right? That's just not how it works. But they're really happy with the pitching, especially how much they committed to it the last couple of years. But I think they still realize they need more talent in there because of, look at how much they paid in both international and draft money. They spent, like, $15 million across four players from O'Connell and, you know, and obviously Bobby Witt and everything they spent on those guys. So I think they know that they still need that. I think some of the hitting is a bit of a concern at those lower levels, but everyone's still really high on Lee. Everyone's still really high on, you know, when Kyle Isbell gets back up and rolling. And so I think that, you know, Bobby Witt can be the boost to that too, hopefully. So they, they seem like they're feeling pretty good about it, but I think it's the same thing. You know, double A and A ball, you know, it doesn't seem like organizationally they're like super high on everybody in AAA, but there's still a few they think can crack through.
0: Well, I did want to take a quick uh, mention about your your recent podcast. You got a chance to talk to Brad Keller on your podcast, uh, Tapping the Plate. Uh, What did you learn from from Keller?
2: Well, I mean, you know, we did talk a little bit about, like, just him coming up and when, you know, even in high school, he wasn't expecting to be the kind of draft pick he was. Man, he was committed to some tiny school in South Carolina or North Carolina, right? Just some itty-bitty, you know, college that he was going to go pitch at and then try to go from there. But because he ended up pitching against guys like Clint Frazier in the same state, strike him out a couple times in a game, scouts took notice. And that's how he ends up, you know, being as high of a draft pick as he was for the Reds and how the Royals got their attention in A. Plus, I asked him silly stuff like, you know, who would win in a wrestling match between Dozier and Gordon. So it was good. It was really good. Ooh, you know, that, I that, kind that, that of want
0: to see that happen.
2: <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, right? I mean, Gordon certainly got the workout regimen, and he's got you know it's it's uh, he's got experience. So who knows? He's got old so man that kind strength. of stuff mostly, but yeah, he does. But it was interesting. It was interesting to kind of get to know him outside of baseball as well.
0: Well, very cool. Yeah, and fans should definitely check that out, and and definitely check out uh, Cody Tap on a regular basis on Six Ten Sports. You can also follow him on Twitter at Cody B Tap. It's uh, Cody C O D Y B T A P P. Cody, thanks so much for being on the show. I appreciate it.
2: Oh, no problem. Thanks, Max.
0: We're back, and uh, joining me now is Sean Newkirk. Sean, how are you doing tonight?
3: Hi, Max. I'm ready to talk about this uh, this whatever team, whatever kind of team this is. I'm ready to talk about it. Uh, I don't know if we have a good adjective for it or not. It's
0: a team full of speed, and we've seen how well yeah. that worked out. Uh, also joining us tonight is Matthew Lamar. Matthew, how are you doing tonight?
1: Doing good. You know what I'm not doing is watching the All Star game. We we talked before we started recording. Uh, Max asked if if we had any thoughts about the all-star game and i said i had literally zero thoughts about the all-star game so are you know are you not watching
0: because it no longer decides home field advantage to the world series
1: no i mean it's it's just less fun when the royals only have one player i mean like that's been most of my life give me give me multiple royals players who might play and then then i'll watch you know Yeah. Uh, but. Well,
0: I think the difference, though, at least Whit Merrifield is deserving, unlike, you know, Mark Redman or Ken Harvey, and I think he does have a decent chance of getting in the game tonight. We're recording this during the All-Star Game, so I guess by the time you hear this, you'll know if Whit Merrifield got in the game or not. Oh, uh, Sean, are, did... you, are you a big All-Star Game watcher?
3: Dude, I totally forgot it was tonight. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that doesn't answer your question, because, yes, I usually do watch it. Um, I you know what? I kind of like the celebrity softball game to be honest. Um I wish they would air the full thing of that, but um yeah, no, I'll I'll watch the All-Star game a bit. Um I I don't even know. I don't even think I cared that much um when it actually quote unquote mattered, but um I don't know, it's just kind of cool to see all the people there. So yeah, no, I'm I'm I've got it on now. Thanks, Matt.
0: So yeah, I, I used to watch it as a kid a lot. And then when the Royals when the Royals were really bad in the late 90s and early 2000s like and they only sent you know Ken Harvey or Mark Mark Redman. I yeah. totally stopped watching. I just was not interested in seeing a bunch of Yankees and and, and you know the good teams and no Royals. And once the Royals, like in 2013, when they started sending multiple players like Alex Gordon and and uh, Mike Mustakas and and all those guys, Salvador Perez, I, I you know I got hooked again. And that's continued even though the Royals are only sending one player each year. I've just found myself really interested in the All Star Game. the Last couple of years, I think maybe just. Um, you know, I just, I like watching the stars more than I did 10, 15 years ago. Uh, and some of the things they're doing, like they had the mics on the outfielders today, which was kind of cool. I like kind of seeing the joking around. I, I like it more when they take the game less seriously. Uh, you know, you talk about the celebrity softball game. I think that's part of why that's fun is because no one is, no one's expecting that to be like a straight up softball game, right? It's like an entertainment, uh, and kind of, you know, let's see how they can goof around and. So I don't know. I like I like when the players kind of goof around on the field. Like they took a selfie. It was it last year that Manny oh, Machado yeah. and Matt Kemp it was a couple of years ago? Maybe they took a selfie out on the field. So I like that goofy stuff. You know, Larry Walker turning his helmet backwards against Randy Johnson. That's the stuff you remember. I don't really remember like who hit a home run or what. You know, but anyway, that's my. I I, I like the All Star Game. I think it's the best All Star Game out of all the four sports by far, and I, I like to have fun with it. So
3: yeah, because the other ones don't mean. I mean, not that this means anything, but at least like. Well, I guess the NBA one goes on midseason, but the NFL one, like, oh my God, it's like the most pointless of all of them, it seems this, like. This
0: one resembles an actual game more than any of the yeah. other four sports. It actually Yeah, up. that's true. So, well, the All-Star game may be interesting, but, but the Royals maybe are less interesting. Uh, they limp into the All-Star break, dropping 12 of their last 16 games. Uh, the record right now at the All-Star break is 30-61. and 61. I don't want to dwell too much on what a terrible first half it was. Uh, but we should discuss kind of the train wreck that was the first half of the Royals. And I just want to discuss kind of, kind of the best and worst things from the first half. So, um, let's, I guess we'll start with the optimistic side first. And Matthew, you're our Ray of sunshine. What's kind of the best thing that happened for the Royals in the first half? Maybe something that, um, kind of kept your interest or maybe was the best thing that could have happened to them long-term for the future.
1: Yeah, for me, the far and away, the biggest biggest thing that happened was Hunter Dozier turning into, like, an all-star. Um, you know, he didn't get um, uh, into the all-star game because he had an injury that sort of, you know, I think uh, knocked his chances down. But, but, you know, he's been one of the, you know, AL's best players so far, uh, you know. Um, war in 68 games, you know, that's, that's really, that's really great. That's almost, you know, four and a half, five, five win player. That's a really nice player. And the best thing is not that it sort of happened and, you know, he was a a breakthrough player, kind of like, like Alex Gordon, you know, Alex Gordon before his breakthrough season in 2011, he was a decent player. You know, he was, he was okay. He was, he was somewhat productive. Um, But Hunter Dozier to this point has just been a total, huge disappointment and for him to just all of a sudden be a very very good player is is a huge deal um even if his future may be at first base um or his defense might be better suited for you know he can play third base he can play right field although we haven't seen that this year um and him being very good is just such a huge thing because the royals have him under contract for another without looking it up I'm going to sound dumb if it's not right another like five years or something after this and uh yeah that's huge you know to have even if he's not going to be like an all-star player again to to bank on someone who is a productive middle-of-the-order bat kind of guy just out of nowhere is a huge deal um for, for the Royals and you, you got to feel good about Hunter Dozier who was, who was select overall in the 2013 draft and was just one of the you know the big misses of Dayton Moore's draft uh, career so to speak and and he's doing well and that's that's just really great to see just from a fun standpoint from a personal standpoint from a Royals future standpoint
0: What about you Sean is that the best thing uh, you think happened for the Royals this uh, first uh, half I
3: um, I mean <clears throat> to to be honest i'm not quite ready to to annoy him as good just yet um i was looking at this just the other day and over his last 150 plate appearances he's got an 86 wrc plus part of that was leading up to him getting hurt of course um but and part of that is coming back to being hurt but i mean he he had a really obviously a really good start but since may i think he's basically been um like 100 wrc plus which is good um, but we'll see what it ends up being. Uh, I, I think there's a still a wide variance on him, uh, and we need kind of more sample size on it. I, I, I think the good parts of the first season, um, I'm going to focus on the minor league stuff where it's nice that, I mean, the, the hitting side has gotten really bad um, other than, you know, Witt Jr., uh, who we haven't seen much of, but you know all the guys that people were hoping would take step forwards, that kind of were fringe top 100-ish guys, have kind of not. Um, if anything, they've gone backwards. But the pitching side, at least, has done, has has looked well. Um, take everything in Wilmington with a grain of salt, but Coars uh, looked fairly good um, in AA so far. Singer has been kind of hit and miss. Um, Bubik's done really well. Lynch was doing really well before he got hurt. So um, that's. That's kind of a bigger thing that the system, I think, needs. There's a couple guys, at least offensively, that look like, okay, they could be here for the next five years. Um, But on the pitching side, I think it's a little weaker there, particularly um, with some of the guys like Kennedy and Duffy and Bailey. I mean, they're going to lose, what, uh, three out of five rotation uh, people, members, uh, you know, in the next year or two. So I think think the pitchers, the college pitchers at least, have – taking a bit of a step forward are um, a nice positive light for, you know, however much we can read into their high A, double A performance.
0: Yeah, I think those are two really good answers. I think if I were to add another one to be that Whit Merrifield has has kept his trade value, um, If and we'll see if he's going to be a tradable asset that, that does get flipped or if he's actually part of the long-term future. But, you know, ever since he came up, I think there's been whispers from a lot of people on our side, myself included, that, you know, it's not sustainable, he's going to go back, you know, he's, there's nothing in the minors to suggest he can keep this up, he's going to eventually crater, and, you know, we're, he's now like three years into his career, and he's still, he's one of the most valuable, you know, guys capable of playing second base in the league, uh, he's an all-star, and I think that's a great testament to him, to kind of prove the doubters wrong, and then to kind of overcome all the obstacles he's overcome. Uh, you know the fact that you know the team didn't really seem to believe him in, in 2015, and 2000 uh, when they left him unprotected in the Rule Five draft and didn't call him up in September, and he's kind of worked his way up and become a very you know very useful player, a very good player, and if the Royals do plan on trading him, and I think Mike, Sam Mellinger had a piece today in his Mellinger minutes that he thinks the Royals really do want to trade him, but they need to be overwhelmed by an offer that that might not be out there, and so. I think if that offer does come along, they, they would they, they would like to turn him into two or three prospects. But with the way teams are kind of hoarding prospects, I don't know if that's going to happen. But the good thing is the Royals do have that asset. He hasn't gotten hurt. He's still a very good player. And so they don't trade him this July. I think there's a good chance he'll still be a very valuable trade asset this winter if they want to do it then. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, but they, I think that has been a good good development this in the first half of this season uh, if they can trade him at the deadline. Yeah. Worst thing from the first half... There's a lot to choose from, Matthew. Uh, but so much to choose from. But what's kind of maybe the absolute worst thing in the first half of the Royals?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think I know what what Sean's going to say, but I, I'm going to take something different. Um, is uh, Ryan O'Hearn last year was was obviously that's the kind of debut where you look at and you say, oh, well, he's not going to be that good again. But he was so good that you could easily, you know, convince yourself, hey, this this could be a you know. A decent player going forward and uh you know before the season nobody had really thought that o'hearn would be uh you know a huge uh or impact bat i mean it just sort of came out of nowhere like like dozier um and i guess that's a cautionary tale for dozier too is o'hearn came out of nowhere it was really awesome last year and granted 44 games dozier's been uh, been really good in uh, you know 20 more games than that um but this year, Ryan O'Hearn has literally been one of the worst players uh, on the Royals, and that's a list that includes Lucas Duda and Chris Owings, and that's that's just that's not good. He's basically his biggest problem. Um, is that all of the power that he showed last year is basically dried dried up? Last year he had a 336 isolated slugging. Uh, this year in the majors he's had a 145, and he's the type of player. He's a pull he's a pull hitter from the left side that he's going to get shifted on a lot. He's he needs that power in order to um, to do well, and it's it's just not there. The, now the good news for O'Hearn is that uh, his walk and strikeout percentages are. Pretty much right in line with what they were last year, um, so that's good. That's not the signs of you know some huge plate discipline issue that's that's going on, which kind of kind of tricky to fix. Um, and also his, his batting average on balls in place pretty low at 225. You know again he's going to get shifted on a lot, uh, and he's not going to have as high of a BABIP as you know Whit Merrifield, um, but that's still pretty low, and you would expect maybe that that would rise and that the power would come back. Um, I don't think we've seen the last of O'Hearn so far uh, this year. Well, that doesn't make any sense. I don't I don't think we'll see – we have seen the last of O'Hearn this season. There we go. Um, he'll be back. The question is whether he'll be a shadow of his self last year or just a mess, which is what he's been this year. And that's – the Royals don't have a lot of young players, and for one of their young promising players to just turn into a pumpkin – in such a severe manner is is one of the the biggest uh you know reasons why the season is what it is yeah
0: that's a good one because you know the, the Royals have had a lot of bad players but most of them are guys like you didn't have any expectations for like I didn't think you know Brad Boxberger was gonna be that great this year or Lucas Duda I, I didn't expect him to set the world on fire but Ryan O'Hearn I thought there was a fair chance he'd be a pretty solid first baseman this year and he that to have, him have such a disappointing first half, I mean, that really does kind of put a, you know, put a crimp in the, the long-term future for this team a little bit. Uh, Sean, I know you're usually, it goes against your grain to be negative, but if you could find something yeah. negative from the first half, what? what would it be? Matt, what did
3: you think I was going to
0: say?
1: I thought you were going to say uh, Proud and Melendez and Matias.
3: Yeah. Uh. Yeah, I mean that's that, that was part. That was one thing I was kind of thinking, um, and uh, but I kind of covered that a bit. Uh, so yeah, I mean that's a good one. Uh, I agree. Um, that kind of sucks. Um, in a similar, how about this? In a similar vein as O'Hearn, not that Montes has been bad, but I mean there were people who thought maybe they were a little overexcited. Um, they thought that Montes might get MVP votes, and I know one prominent um, Royals uh, media writer uh, thought that. He doubled down on it. Thought that Modesty would get top five MVP voting. And, you know, Modesty, while he's obviously been kept up uh, a little bit of what he did last year, um, you know, he's got a 90 WRC plus so far this year. And he's actually produced less value almost by a full win and call it 50 more plate appearances than he did last year. So he hasn't quite kept up the pace. He still looks like he's going to be, um, on most years, a two, three, maybe even four win player, which is obviously great. Um, but it's still a little bit. You know, I don't like the kind of backsliding a bit offensively that he's done. A bunch of gains late last year, late-ish last year, and, and a bit early this year. But it's kind of given a lot of those plate discipline gains back. So um, that's one that it's not quite as – It's not obviously it's not disappointing to have a 2-3 win player. But I think expectations for Mondesi um, maybe aren't going to be met. But, of course, he's 23. So we'll see what else happens. Um, but I think in a similar vein, O'Hearn, I think that kind of fits a bit.
0: Just and to it, a higher degree. Yeah, yeah they, yeah. they think the important thing you mentioned is that he's only 23. He, there's a room for improvement here, and I don't, you know, he's not. He certainly wouldn't be the first guy to come to the big leagues and not like set the whole league on fire, despite having all world skills. I mean, but and that being said, he's had a very solid, I think, first half. But but you're right. Maybe not top five MVP talent. Uh, for for my worst thing in the first half, um, I'll say that the you know obviously the pitching staff. We didn't expect the pitching staff to be good. Like, Homer Bailey made the rotation. I get it. It wasn't supposed to be good. But the fact that, like, the only pitcher that is better this year than they were last year is Ian Kennedy, the $16.5 million man who had to move to the bullpen to improve his numbers, that's a pretty big setback because you're hoping that Brad Keller or Jake Junis or Jorge Lopez or, or maybe you'd get some some nice performance out of a young reliever. And they really haven't gotten any of that. I mean, pretty much everyone has taken a step back and regressed, and um, you know, whether or not that falls on Cal Eldred or not, I, I'm not really that convinced it's, it's on him. I think it could be just the, the talent we have. Well, let's uh, let's talk about the first half MVP. Uh, Matthew, I guess there's only a couple of choices here. who kind of your first half MVP for the Royals?
1: I think it's Dozier. Um, you know, I know he hasn't played as many games as Merrifield has, um, which is another great choice. Um, but Dozier's been really better on a per game basis. And the difference in total value is pretty,
3: you know, pretty minimal. So I'll go with
0: those. Sean, is that your choice as well? Or do you have another choice? Uh,
3: um, yeah, I think Dozier is a good choice, but I'm going to go with Merrifield. Um, I think Dozier has done well. And I, like I said, I think it's a good choice, but, um, I think it's some of the MVP you've got to give to the guy who's played a bit longer too. Uh, and you know, I think Mer- Merrifield has, um, an extra like 80 at bats and 20 more games. So I'm going to go with Merrifield. Um, but Dozier's a good choice as well.
0: I'll go with Merrifield as well. And like you said, because he's, he's played more, he's, he's an all-star rep. He leads the team and and, and wins above replacement, uh, both on fan graphs and baseball reference. Although that's a lot of that's a factor of his playing time and Dozier missing three weeks. And I think Merrifield, you know, he's, he showed he's good. He's, he has a little pop this year. He can hit for uh, contact. He can hit for average. He can uh, steal bases, obviously, plays good defense. And also, he showed his versatility a little bit when Nicky Lopez came up. He could move to the outfield. So, you know, I think that's a pretty viable player. And so, I think for the first half, he's he's your Royals MVP. Uh, what about least valuable player? I know there are a lot of candidates there, Matthew, but who who is the least valuable of them all?
1: Um, it's real easy for me. It's Lucas Duda, who has been really terrible and also really useless. Um you know when the Royals started off the year. Remember they had Schwindel and Duda and O'Hearn, and, and you know eventually it worked itself out. Um, but there's no there's no reason for him to be on the roster like at at all. Um, you could have any number of other players on the roster, and it would be more useful um, for them and for the Royals long-term, you know, hopes than other than just Lucas Duda, who's been really terrible and just sort of sort of useless, you know. I get Chris Owings, you know, everybody probably probably judging the amount of vitriol I, I've uh, seen about Owings versus Duda. People hate Owings a lot more, but the thing with the Owings is that the Royals sort of needed a guy like Owings, um, you know, and credit to them, they, they cut Owings when it wasn't working out. But, you know, they really kind of needed a guy that could pay back up shortstop, um, to sort of be a you fill in until Nikki Lopez was ready um, it just turned out that Owings was bad you know that's that's not a good result but you know Duda has been bad and also it's just I, I can't I can't say enough enough things about why I'm frustrated that Duda's on the roster so definitely Duda
0: Duda the dud Sean who's your least valuable player
3: um, I'm still going to go with Owing's. Um, unfortunately, we didn't get a full season from him. I really wanted to see if he could break the record, uh, the Royals. Yeah.
0: Are... for the record Maybe. for negative wins above replacement.
3: Yep. Um,
0: what is the record?
3: Uh, I want to say someone got Pena Junior. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Well, it might not be, but that was my guess. Uh,
0: yeah, I was going to say there was some. There's a couple of players that were just really bad defensively back in the days before we had good metrics that, you know, were, that accumulated quite a bit of negative war just because they were so bad in the field. But, yeah, But, yeah, Tony um, Pena Jr. is a good one. I, that might be the record.
3: It was uh, – yeah, I mean, so I think – yeah, I think, it. Uh, of course, Owen, I think Owens is it. I mean, it just was so bad. Uh, actually, was, oh, my God, how did I miss this one? Nephi Perez, oh, 2002 Nephi, Nephi Perez. Perez. <laughs> yep. Negative 2.9 yeah. wins, almost oh, negative three wins. He was so bad. I mean, think about it. That 2002 Royals team could have won an additional three more games <laughs> without Nephi <laughs> Perez. They could have been – They could have been uh, 65 and 97. Wow. Instead of 62 and 100. Man. They missed out. Uh, So, yeah. So, I think it's Owings. Um, I I agree. Duda's been just as crap, too. So, it's a toss up between the two. But um, I'm just going to give it to Owings just because, man, I don't know. I was going to say it's painful watching Owings bat, but it's also painful watching Duda bat. So, I'm going to, I still want to give it to Owings just because, man, he, he, he almost forced Merrifield off his position. That's how bad he was. At least, at least uh, Duda hasn't been really been forcing anybody off their position. And at least we got him to go on the DL. You know, I don't want a player to get hurt, but at least we got you know safe from him for however long it was. So I'm gonna go Owings.
0: I'm gonna go with Duda because I agree with Matthew. I think Owings at least kind of had a role as a utility player. who could play all over the place. I don't get what Duda's role is. Like he was signed before the season. He. You know, you talk about forcing a guy off the roster. He forced Brian Goodwin off the roster. Not that Brian Goodwin's is any great shakes, and he's cooled off a little bit, but he still has a 106 OPS plus for the Angels this year. He's been above replacement as a level as an outfielder. A guy that has several controllable years left, who you think would have some use to the Royals, um, but they didn't have a place for him because they wanted to make room for Duda. And not only that, but, I mean... You know, he's playing right now instead of Ryan O'Hearn. Okay, you think O'Hearn needs to be in the minors. That's fine. But you could be playing Dozier at first base, maybe getting a long look at Calvin Gutierrez at third or Chesler Cuthbert. Um, Or you could be claiming A.J. Reed off waivers uh, from the Astros, former top 20 prospect who uh, didn't really cut it with the Astros and, and, you know, might be worth it to see what he can do. Uh, You know, because first base is so low on the defensive spectrum, you can pretty much be claiming anyone uh, that can hit a little bit, and seeing if they, you know, giving him an audition at first base. Uh, you know, like I think I talked about this before, but like guys like Luke Voigt were available for nothing. G-Man Choi was available for nothing. I mean, there are guys out there all the time. Christian Walker is having a nice season. He was available for nothing. Um, so there's guys out there you can give, you know, that are breaking in Triple A uh, for some organization, but maybe blocked that you can give a, a chance to, or maybe some catcher out there that can't really play behind the plate and moving to first base would help his career some outfielder who can't run anymore. You know, there's a lot of things you can do. Uh, And there's, they're playing the 33 year old Lucas Duda who has, you know, obviously no future with this club. It's, it's just aggravating, And, and, you know, I I even thought he would be kind of decent this year and he's just been terrible. He's been a terrible hitter. So he's just, he's least viable because of his hitting. And also just because of the waste of a roster spot, it's just incredibly frustrating for a uh, team that should be rebuilding right now. So, so those are kind of our first half assessments. Um, and, you know, Duda, I think, kind of strikes into something you wrote about this week, Matthew, and that the Royals are not just bad. They are boringly bad. I mean, like, when you're trotting out guys like Lucas Duda out there, it's not like you're even finding new and innovative ways to lose. Uh, they're just kind of doing it by the numbers. Can you talk about a little bit how, why you find the Royals so boring this year?
1: Yeah, I mean... So the the really the core the core part of it is that they're boring because they got a lot of boring players. And I know that sounds simple, but but I mean it's true. The Royals have um, you know some very definitively boring players. These are Lucas Duda, who no one enjoys watching even a little bit. Um, you know guys like Wiley Peralta or Brian Flynn or you know Jake Diekman. All of these guys have been really bad and just boring and kind of old and not not going to be on the team maybe even next year it's it's just sort of a you know waste of bodies um and then there's a couple of guys you could say they're arguably boring you know cam gallagher is only getting you know one game every six months it feels like you know uh he's and he's been bad in his career so far billy hamilton at this point in his career you know he's playing himself out of the starting role definitely, um, and maybe you know out of a guaranteed contract. Anyways, I mean he was a free agent. And he had to sign a one-year deal with the Royals. Um, so, and depending on how you feel about Ian Kennedy, he's he's not particularly interesting either. I mean his his um, you know stint in the bullpen has been interesting to watch, but Kennedy as a player, you know we've seen him. He's not very good in the rotation and. He might be okay in the in the bullpen. That's not a very good, um, you know. That, that's that's not a good thing to say about a player. They might be good in the in the, in the bullpen. Um, so, it's th- these players just generally aren't very good. They're about replacement level. And for those of you who don't know what replacement level means, it's basically the the amount uh, of, of production a player has. Um, that's readily available in the minor leagues. So someone who is just available for cash considerations or you don't have to give up really anything, you can just plug those those team, team members in. So uh, a description uh, on Fangraph says, like, if tomorrow four of your players came down with the flu and were out for the rest of the year, you could, pl- you could find four replacement-level players. So the Royals are filled with these replacement-level players, and they're also, like... Older, like most of these guys are in their late 20s or 30 at least. Um, and the the really sort of frustrating part about it is that they have guys that they could play instead of these players. So for Billy Hamilton, who's 28, you could play Bubba Starling, who's 26. For Terrence Gore, who should be probably be playing more than he is, but he isn't. Uh, you know, replace him with Brett Phillips. That's three years younger. Um, Peralta uh, replace him with Josh Staumont because Staumont might turn into something. We kind of know that what Peralta is. you know Jake Diekman's the you know 32 Richard Lovely. Uh, it's been really, really good. And Sean, I know this is one of your one of your things. You want Richard Lovelace to play, and he should. Um, he's like I said, he's 23. You know, instead of Brian Flynn, maybe try out Kyle Zimmer, Lucas Duda. Obviously, you could call Ryan O'Hearn back up and, and try him again. So the Royals have these these guys in their own organization in, in Omaha, and they're just not letting them play because they would rather lose. 104 games as upon, as opposed to 105 games you know it's 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 just frustrating to watch the Royals play these guys when they have replacements who probably are better than the guys that are playing but they just don't they just don't play them and so the Royals are bad you know that's okay I'm okay with bad if um, you know I guess a good draft picks if it means that the Royals are convinced that they're in the middle of a rebuild you know as opposed to limbo which were there in a couple years ago that's all fine but just make the team interesting you know just throw stuff at the wall i want to see if stuff sticks you know stuff doesn't stick whatever it's fine but what's the point of having these sort of fringy players in your system if you're never going to give them a chance like you might as well just be using veterans up and down your minor league roster uh, to win games at each level because you feel that's that's so important so that's that's my rant about it
0: well and before the year too like the, the kind of thing we kept hearing is well this team will be probably not that good but at least it'll be exciting because they're going to steal a lot of bases and they do lead the majors and steals with 84 sean but i don't know if that's really made them a very exciting team to watch i mean uh they still struggle to score runs um You know, the steals don't really seem to be translating to to much success. I mean, is there anything they could do to be more interesting uh, down the stretch other than maybe calling up these young guys? I mean, I know maybe they've talked about doing an opener. Are there any kind of, like, should they just be trying, like, all sorts of crazy ideas down the stretch?
3: Gimmicky stuff? Yeah. uh, No. I mean, ideally it would be great if they would uh, get on base more, play better defense, uh, strike out more batters, and um, have better sequencing. But other than that – Um, no, I mean, it's going to be brutal if it's, if in, if it's, if in September or even mid-August, Billy Hamilton's still patrolling center field, um, and Duda's still getting at-bats. I mean, there's no, there's no reason come August, I guess, 1st or August 2nd, um, Hamilton should be on this team, uh, and, you know, Boba Starling or Brett Phillips shouldn't be here. Uh, I mean, this just... No, I don't even. I, I don't think there's anything they could do other than play the young guys. That's about it. Um, the opener would just be a temporary distraction because I, I feel like they would call up Stamon or something and he would just walk the first four guys. And you're like, okay, great. We gave this a shot next. So uh, I just would like to see them play the young guys. I think that's all they need to do.
0: Yeah, I think sometimes when we hear about the opener, we think, well, it's just a, a magic panacea, but like the, it works for the Rays because they have some pretty good pitchers yeah. and they're, they a have a deep pitch. pitching staff. Yeah. Uh, the Royals don't seem to have that, and, and I don't know if they'll get a necessarily a better performance from a guy in the first inning than they would if he pitched in the eighth. So, what
3: would be what would be funny is if they tried Ian Kennedy as the opener, and then he just progressively pitched more innings. He <laughs> <laughs> was just back to being a starter.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that they should do that. Hey, that 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 would make things interesting at least. Uh, yeah, I don't know, but I'd still like to see them at least try, just because. I mean, what else are you can do right now? Throw Homer Bailey out there once every five days and wait for him to get traded. I, I'd like to. I would like to see them at least try some things, as kind of Matthew said, and 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 the opener may be part of that. Uh, I don't know what else, you know, what other gimmicky things they can do, but I would like to see them try more things uh, to to try to get uh, at least make this team more interesting. But I think the number one thing is I think everyone wants to see this team get younger, and hopefully we'll start seeing that, especially. Towards a trade deadline, if any of these pieces get moved, or if they just decide it's time to cut bait with a guy like aren't, Billy Hamilton,
3: aren't they like the like tenth oldest team or something? Hold on, I'm gonna look this up right now because I oh, could I have right sworn in front of me. They,
0: their hitters are uh, the hitters oh. are actually a little bit below league average. Their uh, pitchers are uh, on the uh, a little bit. They're they're both about league average. So oh, okay. they're a league okay. average I team, know. but which. Isn't really that great considering they're supposed to be rebuilding, but they do have some legacy guys like Salvador yeah, Perez yeah. and Alex Gordon and uh, and some older veterans, I guess, that are going to keep that up a little bit. So,
3: yeah,
0: yeah. So anyway, we, so we'd like to see a more interesting team in the second half. Um, let's let's give our bold predictions for what we expect to see in the second half. Something that maybe you'd like to see or that you think will happen, Matthew. What is there anything in the second half you think uh, might be a little surprising from the Royals?
1: Maybe this is a little bit of wish casting, but uh, I think either Brett Phillips, Bubba Starling, or Ryan O'Hearn will be on on just on fire for the second half of the season once they finally you know, get, uh, get to the big leagues, or in O'Hearn's case, return to the big leagues. Um, I think what's going to happen is... Uh, and this is even stretching a little bit to next year. Is they're going to be on fire? We're going to get really excited for them. And then next time it rolls around, and they're just not very good. So I think that's that's, that's my prediction. <laughs> but I but I but I seriously think some someone is going to be really good for you know for half a season. Um, and I I think that's going to be Brett Phillips. I've got a piece coming out this week, um, maybe tomorrow, maybe later in the week. Uh, and by tomorrow, I mean. Uh, we're recording this on Tuesday, the All-Star game, so maybe Wednesday, maybe the rest of the week. Um, I got a piece on Brett Phillips. Um, I think, you know, he's he's kind of flown under the radar, uh, probably thanks to Bubba Starling and because the Royals are so bad in so many different ways. Um, But I think Brett Phillips could turn into a, you know, a sneaky good player um, a la Gerard Dyson. Um, And that's a really, really nice player to have. Um. So I, I I hope he's back and he's he does really well because he's certainly a blast to see on defense.
0: And he's actually been handling really well as of late. And and Sean, speaking of buff, you kind of I guess, cast his numbers in a in different light this week. Uh, you want to talk about kind of
3: how we should evaluate his numbers a little bit? Wait, can I give my my uh, thing my well, my second half surprise? Sure. Oh. Okay. Go ahead. Um. I think that there's a chance that they lose 15 straight games to end the season. Um,
0: (laughs) It has to be the end of the season, though. To end the season? Is that a schedule-related thing?
3: Yeah, because they've got Houston. It depends on what Minnesota does, but they've got three games against Houston. Then they've got three at Oakland, four at Minnesota, two here in Atlanta, or two here against Atlanta, then three here against Minnesota. So I think they could really go 0-15 in those games. Um, Depending on what the Twins do, if they're out, if the Twins have a playoff spot locked up, they might go easy on those that last weekend. But I think we got a real shot of getting at least the number two pick. Um, My only concern is that they've got, they've got the three games at Baltimore, which I do think though, I think Baltimore is going to win two of those games. So that's good. Um, And then I, but I do think the Royals probably get two back when they come here. So I think it'll be a split series and not go anywhere. Um, But that's my, that's my second half optimism, I think.
0: Well, the most yeah, likely scenario I think is that they actually get worse than the Orioles and go yeah. into the last series of the year with the worst record in no. baseball, and then they sweep the Twins to avoid yeah. getting the first
3: pick. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. That, yeah that, I mean, we we saw that play out with the uh, the Tiger series, all that. Two thousand was it?
0: Two thousand six, I believe. Yeah.
3: It was. The, yeah, I think the David Price draft. Yeah, that uh, was, yeah the two thousand seven draft. Uh-huh. The
0: Royals. The Royals had the, had the number one pick locked up and then swept the Tigers to end
3: the season. And came back and won some of those games in extra innings. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, well, it, it, oh, it, yeah. all, it all
0: worked out well. We got Mike Gustavs.
3: Yes. Yeah. Well, and Baltimore passed three at Toronto, three at Boston to end the season. So there, there's a good chance that they could lose all uh, six of those. Um, but, yeah, so with Starling, um, I looked at his numbers and I go, man, those are pretty good numbers just because I saw the, the – the, raw numbers but then it's like oh man um the juice the juice ball and triple a just really kind of distorts those because uh he is hitting uh what was it as of what would be this recording um uh where are you it is 310 358 448 so getting on base almost you know uh 36 percent of the time with the, almost a 450 slugging batting 310 those are eye-popping numbers um but because of the new ball in triple a it's it only leads to a 98 wrc plus or two percent below league average which um you see those numbers and you don't think oh that's a below average hitter technically you think like oh that's a really good number and i saw that uh the league average line is uh, 307, 343, 491. Um, so, you know, you, it, that's an incredibly high league average thing. And there's 44 players who are hitting above 300, and there are 32 players with an OBP greater than 400. Um and which, the
0: Pacific Coast League this year, the A, they're using Major League Baseball balls, which, you know, in yeah. the past they've used their own balls. This yeah. year they've tried to integrate with Major League Baseball, and they're using Major League Baseball balls, which Commissioner Manfred insists are not juiced. Uh, and not only that, but they're also playing in a lot of high altitude environments, in, in places like Albuquerque and um, uh, Reno, Nevada. Uh, a lot of those thinner air environments are a little easier to hit, and so yeah, we shouldn't be surprised that Pacific Coast League has some inflated numbers this
3: year. Well, uh, and those are both Pacific Coast and International oh, okay. uh, numbers, which I think they're also using that ball too. Yeah. Uh, so I so that's all of AAA. So it's it's crazy um the environment down there and part of it is not just the balls it's also kind of the quirkiness of those parks and Mm -hmm. a lot of those parks have shorter fences in the mlb so uh, it just it's just bonkers numbers and um on on the the bad side it's you know it basically means we can just ignore those numbers mostly which kind of sucks because you want to have some data to judge a player by but on the good side i think most people didn't necessarily judge triple a numbers that heavily to begin with just because a lot of guys are skipping triple a just right from double a anyways mm-hmm. um and so i, I think I, I i don't think anybody was going to see a guy hit poorly in double a then seem to promote a triple a and hit really really well and go oh he's figured it out i think i think we understand to be skeptical of triple a numbers and that the double a ones you know hold holds as much weight as they ever have
0: and for guys like bubba starling and brett phillips too i think we're we know their defense and speed will probably make them somewhat valuable it's just can they make enough contact uh to, to make it work offensively a little bit and really we're not going to get a good I mean we're not going to really know that until they're at at the big league level hitting against major league pitchers yeah. uh you know the, what we're looking for at triple a i think is just to gain some confidence work on their swing a little bit uh and it seems like phillips and starling are at least you know getting some confidence after you know For Starling, entire career which he's had nothing but setbacks, and for Phillips, you know he had that really disappointing uh, season with the Royals uh, after he was acquired with them last year. So, you know I think uh, the numbers I think are at least encouraging in the fact that they're not just falling flat on their face. But yeah, we we shouldn't we should well you know look at the context too. Yeah, and they've been
3: there. I mean they they, they've been there before. Starling has 805 plate appearances in Triple A, and then uh, Phillips. It is at a thousand plate appearances in triple A. Um, some guys don't even get a thousand plate appearances in the minors. Juan Soto, I don't even know how many he got, but he probably got half that number total. Um so he's he's been there for a while. So Salvador I Perez think, spent like
0: a week in Triple A.
3: <laughs> right, right. So I think we're mostly just looking at um just I, I don't think I don't think we should have been buying in the Triple A numbers that much to begin with. Um so
0: Well my bold prediction is that the July trade deadline is gonna come and the Royals they'll they'll probably sell off a couple pieces, Jake Diekman Uh, maybe Homer Bailey. We'll see. Um, but I think they're actually going to be a buyer, which will surprise Mm -hmm. some people. Um, and I think, I don't expect them to buy They're not obviously not for a rental or anything like that, but I think, you know, last year they acquired Brian Goodwin mid season, uh, as a piece, uh, you know, they didn't give up much for him. They gave up Jacob Condrabogan, which is, who was a kind of a non-prospect. Um, but they thought maybe at the time he could, you know, help their outfield picture a little bit. There was talk that they were interested in Ryan Healy of the Mariners. Um, as maybe a solution to first base. I think they're going to look to add another piece like that, a guy that's got three or four controllable years left that I think I think preferably they'd like a pitcher. Um, I don't know if there's a lot of pitchers that are going to be available in that mold, but, but if there's maybe a guy that's fallen out of favor or maybe he's gotten too expensive uh, for a cost-conscious club and they want to dump him, uh, the Royals could be there. Uh, maybe an outfielder, um, since they Alex Gordon may not be back next year. Billy Hamilton almost certainly won't be back. There's a lot of you know their outfield situation is very fluid right now, so I can see them maybe acquiring someone like that. Uh, that's not going to be anyone great. Um, obviously, if, if a team's trading away you know a controllable guy, and you know the Royals don't have a lot of good prospects to give up, that they're going to want to give up. Um, so it's probably not going to be anyone that great. Uh, but I do I I wouldn't I wouldn't be that surprised if they pick up. Because uh, I think they really, I think the losing is really getting to them. And I think they feel a little bit of heat and they want to at least be um, non-terrible at next year. And so I think you're going to see a big push to to be at least a 73, 75 win team next year. Uh, just to get some, you know, plausible major leaguers that are on the young side on the roster. So look for that maybe at the deadline if there's a deal they can work out. Uh, the Royals will resume the season on this weekend. They've got 71 games left. Knowing, uh, you know, we, we gave our preseason predictions on the record before the year. I think we were all way off because I think all of us had at least 70 wins, I want to say. Um, what, Knowing what you know now, knowing how they started, what's kind of your prediction for the final Royals record to end the year? Uh, Matthew, we'll start with you.
1: you. 105 losses. That's one more than they had last year, but that's actually moving forward a better record um, than how they've done so far. So they're on pace for, I don't know, 111, something around that. I haven't, I haven't done the math in, in a little bit, but they're on pace for a lot. And so if they get to 105, that'll actually be somewhat of an improvement.
0: They so. lost to two out of three, every three games so far this year, so that's 54 and 108. So, yeah, that would be an improvement, and that would bring them one – lost shy of the franchise record so that would be think about all the excitement generated in Kansas City in September as everyone watches to see if they can break the club record for losses in a year that'd be that'd be something exciting for the for, for the boring season you've they've had uh, Sean what about you what do you think their final record is especially if they lose 15 games in a row
2: yeah I mean
3: I think we could get um, I didn't think about that one I think I, I mean a hundred's happening I think the question is: Is it going to be 100 and 100 or 110? 110 is tough. Um, what the Orioles lose last year? Let me see. 2018.
0: 113, four. I want to say.
3: Yeah, 115. 115. Um, that's a lot. Yeah, that's really a lot. Uh, uh I'll say 108. I'm going to go 108. Um, so 162 minus. 108. That's pretty much the I'm
0: current gonna... current pace right now. Would get them in 108 yep. losses. So 54
3: and 108. Um, I really think that they could push 112 or 113, um, but I'm going to say, I'll, yeah, I'll, you know what, 110. That's what I'll do. I'll, I'll take the final my, prediction. Yep.
0: So we, you know, last week with Craig Brown about how this team is actually, at least with by run differential, a little bit better than they've been. Like they they're 30 and 61, but by the Pythagorean win loss percentage, they're 37 and 54. Which seven runs, seven wins. So they're seven wins, wins, worse than you would expect based on the run differential. And so I took the final 71 games. Said, okay, what if they actually played to their run differential over the last 71 games? And I crunched the numbers, and I got to 100. Uh, it was 102 losses, 60 and 102. So they would actually they would be playing the same as far as run differential, but their record would be, would improve, you know, quite a bit uh, over the last 71 games. Still not great. 60 and 102 is pretty bad. Uh, but it wouldn't be, it's not quite as bad as, as you guys are predicting. Uh, and we'll see, I think getting younger uh, will help. Not having Chris Owings and Brad Boxberger and hopefully Lucas Duda will be gone pretty soon. That could help as well. Of course, with the young players, you never know. But um, I think there's a chance they could play a little bit better down the stretch. Uh, but listening to Sean talk about the schedule, that makes me <laughs> a little weird. Man, because, man, it does seem like the Royals have not played a lot of really good teams so far this year. And I guess that's true because it's all stacked to the end of the schedule. So yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see if they, we'll see how correct our optimistic uh, projections are at the end. Yeah, the They
3: they've still, uh, let's see, they've got a bunch of Cleveland games still. Mm-hmm. They still got to go to Boston. They've only played Minnesota
0: uh, got, like five times, right?
3: Right. Yeah. Right. They've got two more against the Cardinals. The, uh, they got four against Oakland. The, the Bra- uh, they've got
0: two series against the Braves. Yep,
3: three more against Houston. And then, like I said, three at Oakland. And then, um, there is nice the nice part, maybe, um, which I guess you don't even want to be nice because you want the number one pick. But they still have six against the Orioles, I think six against the Orioles, and then uh, three against the Marlins. So they picked a good year. I mean, this will be a fun year because all the bad teams are facing each, <laughs> other. each other.
0: Yeah, yeah we'll, well, we'll have to celebrate those series and maybe hype them up a little bit uh, for the uh, the right to the number one pick next year. So, yeah, a lot, lot to look forward to in the second half, Orioles fans. <laughs> Uh, well, anyway, that'll do it for our show tonight. A big shout-out to Cody Tapp for being our guest. And uh, thank you to Sean Newkirk and Matthew Lamar for being on the show today. And thank you, readers and listeners, for visiting our site. And we'll talk to you next time.